I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. In today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Umanaidu, who is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutrition specialist. Her niche work is in nutritional psychiatry, and she is the author of the book, This Is Your Brain on Food. In her book, she shows the cutting-edge science explaining the ways in which food contributes to our mental health and how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues from ADHD. ADHD to anxiety, depression, OCD, and others. Okay. Hello, Dr. Uma Naidu. Thank you so much for coming on today and discussing a topic that is very relevant right now, especially. Thanks, Erin. I appreciate the invitation. It's cool to speak to you. Yeah. So this, this was actually a topic that was a, a large fuel for why I became a dietitian. And so it's something to, to see the conversation continuing and this idea of food as medicine is, is really exciting to just see it emerging in the field and, and people like you who are pioneering these movements. So I appreciate the work that you're doing and, and really Thank you. respect it. I appreciate that. Yeah. So before we dive in, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your background, especially the exposure that you've had to this idea of um, you know, nutrition and its integration with psychiatry and maybe your experience there. Sure. So, you know, it, it comes from a deep-seated um, love uh, for food, nutrition, and the meaning of food in my life. I think that really stems from my Hindu background and coming from a large family where um, food was important, but so was medicine, because um, in my family, there are a large number of allopathic medical doctors, but also a few Ayurvedic practitioners. So that sort of holistic mind-body approach was just part of my DNA growing up. Um, and when I started to study um, psychiatry, what I found was, you know, I was very interested in the medications. I'd already learned pharmacology at medical school, but I began to realize that there were so many side effects to potentially life-saving medications that I was giving and starting to prescribe to patients and that I felt there needed to be more that I had to offer. And um, I began to explore that and find the connections and read more and look at the current research. And that really grew, that sort of grew in my own interests and, and I followed really largely followed things that I loved to do. Um, I loved psychiatry, I still do. And at the same time, I felt they needed to be more. So, um, you know, my trip to culinary school, my, my studying of nutrition, all of that just came with real interest, wanting to be able to really know um, that individuals who were suffering with mental 
issues, uh, even if they were not severely ill, whatever the degree of uh, condition or diagnosis or even just symptoms that they were having, that they needed to have more tools in their toolbox. And that passion really continued to grow. And when I was uh, fortunate to have a conversation with the supervisor who helped me put these ideas together of all the different things I was doing, because as I've said um, a few times when I've spoken about this, you know, I, I wish I could say I had this grand plan and I knew from the age of five that I wanted to do this, but actually at the age of five, for some reason, despite being surrounded by doctors, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then, you know, I, I, for some reason, I think I was just fascinated with space travel. And then it sort of changed a little bit. And I, I, I really started to uh, love all aspects of science and medicine. So, I think the message being that when you do things that you love, you the hope is that you can bring it together to, um, you know, to for some sort of purpose in in life. Mm, wonderful, thank you for that. And your story with your uh, your battle with cancer and how that experience was for you was really interesting to read and and must have been you know an incredibly you know challenge challenge of resilience and and hearing how you had to kind of be the patient in that situation and, and kind of think of what that would look like. That was, that was really fun to read. Thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting if, if, if it's one, I learned so much from that experience. And although people do say that after they've endured such an illness, um, I think that my learning was on a few different levels. One was being a patient and not having, uh, in, in during that time, any power over the prescription pad, uh, mm. which was a very, very different role and when I had to come to accept that of course I had long conversations with my doctors and I had a wonderful had a wonderful team but it really makes you understand how someone in the opposite role feels and that was powerful for me but also that that because I had this holistic integrated functional theme and model of treatment that I could bring that to my own care um, in terms of how I handle things and, and how I manage my own emotions. So mm. that was helpful. Wonderful. Well, very, it was very inspiring, which I Thank think you. before we even get into even more is just to, to mention your book, which has recently come out. It was this year. Is that correct? That's right. August 4th. August 4th. This During the where, pandemic. Yeah. And perfect timing. You know, that's, it's, I think for everybody right now, we're all struggling with some level of, you know, mental health challenge. And this yeah. is a great time to be thinking about the things that we can control and the things that, you know, could really benefit our mental health for, from, from many yeah. different perspectives. Absolutely. And food is definitely food and nutrition, as you well know, Erin, are things that we can control uh, uh, within our reach, uh, within our decision-making tree every single day. So it's, it's, it's very empowering. I think when I, when I speak to clients about the impact that it can have, they get excited, you know, a, a lot of the times, because often if they start taking a medication, for instance, and they, they might say, well, I don't feel like this completely cured my my illness or whatever it was that they their ailment that they were struggling with and to tell them that they have these tools in their toolbox that are involving the food that they put on their plate or certain supplements I don't know about you but they the clients that I speak with they find that to be very empowering yeah, you know, my practice in nutritional psychiatry um has has made me feel 
that it offers people um, a greater a greater number of options to improve their mental well-being. And when people realize the number of things that they can do, the, the foods to embrace, the foods to avoid, like I go through in my book, over the years that I've done it, it, it has felt um, as though it was giving power back to the, to the patient. And I think that's an important, uh, an important thing these days where there's so many things we can't control. And um, I feel that that is right now the, the hope that I, I, hope, I feel the book can bring people, mm-hmm. that while we had this initial very difficult phase of the pandemic and there's certainly ongoing difficulties with uncertainty, um, we are now at a point where we can make a decision to take better care of ourselves mm. um, and to maybe reset a little bit so that for whatever is to come, we can fortify our mental health. And one way to do that is through food. I love that. That is, if that were the end of the podcast, I would say that would be a really good, <laughs> really good place to end, but we've got, we've got some wonderful things ahead. So I'd love to kind of talk about the the link in, so your chapter one, you talk about the connection between our gut and our mental health and how they are directly intertwined. So I'd love to kind of have you elaborate a little bit more about how people who have mental illness are maybe more susceptible to gut issues, um, especially things like IBS or, or just in general, kind of what this connection mm-hmm. is between the gut and the brain. Sure. You know, many um, many people don't associate the two organs, um, even if they know about the microbiome, because the, the gut and the brain are not close by, but they, they do originate from the exact same cells in the embryo. And when people understand that they arose from the same cells and then formed different organs, um, it starts to it starts to build an understanding. Um, so that's the one thing that I think is very key. The other is that the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, connects both organs. And um, I've, you know, started to really call it this two-way superhighway um, of bidirectional flow of information between the gut and the brain and the brain and the gut. Um, and then the two other facts I think are helpful for people to know are that more than 90% of the actual serotonin receptors are in the gut. And um, serotonin being the happiness hormone and, um, you know, what, what we're trying to target with SSRI medications like Prozac, and Zoloft, and so many others. But also speaking to our current times, a very large component of our immune system is in the gut. Mm. So it really, really makes a difference how we eat because we, in fact, are not just eating for our mental well-being, our physical well-being, we're also eating now for our immunity. Mm, yes, very relevant right now. And, and again, another tool that people can have in their toolbox amongst a lot of fear and uncertainty with, you know, the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and even, a, even just coming into yeah. flu season, or when you think about autoimmune conditions, yep. you know, even if we're thinking further down the line that yes, our immune system is, is something that it's not quite a very sexy term. It, it is this year, right? Because, you know, there's, it's, it's yeah. a very extreme situation, but, you know, often people yeah. don't typically associate that. Thank you. That's true. So 
what are some of the best foods to eat if someone is struggling with anxiety and depression? And I don't expect you to just kind of go through a full list. We can kind of talk through a few of um, maybe the most important ones. At the end of the day, the best thing is to go read your book. You do an excellent job at (laughs) pulling apart the research and breaking it down for people, not only how to incorporate these things into the diet, but you know, how to make them tasty too. Great. Thank you so much for that, Erin. So, you know, I, I think it's true. There, there are lots of lists in the book. Each chapter um, has a list and then the final chapter, the recipes and more lists. But um, And the recipes really are intended to match the different chapters, but be interchangeable for people. Mm-hmm. They're also meant to be super user-friendly, easy to implement and um and also interchangeable. So if someone's vegan, they can replace, you know, the salmon with a cauliflower steak. It's meant to be user-friendly in that way as well. But essentially, you know, if, if you're thinking about how could I eat to improve just my mood and to really lower my anxiety, one one food off um, the top is really omega-3 fatty acids. So mm-hmm. you've heard that before. I like to suggest, um, you know, omega-3 rich fatty fish or um, if someone doesn't consume seafood, then the short chain ALA from things like chia seeds, basil seeds, flax seeds, sea algae, sea vegetables, those types of foods. So I think that that's a good starting point because incorporating good sources of salmon, if you can, into your diet a few times a week um, uh, or the uh, plant-based options is, is a good is a good first step because omega-3 has actually been studied in both depression and anxiety. It used to be thought that they just targeted depression, but actually some human trials have shown that they help anxiety as well. So, so incorporating that is just an easy first step. Um, then, you know, for anxiety, the foods that I, I feel have good, some good evidence and there are many more in the book um, are things like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, um, adding just adding that whether you cook with it or not, if you don't cook with it, adding to to a tea, a soup, or a smoothie is a good way to start. Always add the black pepper to make it much more bioactive. Um, so if you're using turmeric for anything, um, you know, always add a pinch of black pepper because that makes it bioavailable and so much better for you. Um, and then you know, I think that um, vitamin D rich foods uh, are, are super helpful and. You know, for for anxiety and in terms of mood, you want to think about some building blocks. So some building blocks include things like prebiotics and probiotics, because the when you think about the impact on the gut, the prebiotic foods really bring back fiber rich nutrients to the micro uh, microbiome and the microbes in the gut. Mm. And the probiotics can be a supplement, but fermented foods will do the same. They'll bring back really good bacteria to the gut microbiome and help you out that way. So fermented foods that are things like kombucha, uh, miso, tempeh, uh, sauerkraut, kefir, all of those, um, things like yogurt, in kefir, I always suggest the unfruited style, um, even though, say, blueberries on their own are really super healthy antioxidant-rich food. When they are in a yogurt, the added sugars that are added to the yogurt just kind of take away the health benefit. Mm. So just get the plain yogurt or plain kefir, add your berries and cinnamon for sweetening is usually my tip. Um, and then 
one, one thing that many people overlook but actually plays a very important part in building a, a pillar for mental health are simple things like leafy greens, your vegetables, and your fruit servings. Mm. Because what those do uh, bring back the, the color. When we say eat the rainbow, the color and the, uh, the diversity of the rich polyphenols in these fruit and vegetables. Um, for fruit, I like to suggest lower glycemic fruit, um, because sometimes individuals who are prescribed mental medications for mental health may have gained some weight, mm. or if they're struggling with their mood, they might might have gained or lost weight, depending. So I think that's just helpful for people to know. And the different colors of the fruit and vegetables and the leafy greens bring back a great di- biodiversity to the gut microbiome, and that's important. So it's not it's no longer you know rolling your eyes because your doctor or your uh, nutritionist tells you to you know eat your salads and to include your vegetables. There's actually some good evidence behind that now, um, and those are some really just simple simple things to start doing right now today. Um, and 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 that being said, I think that you know there are many more specifics as you alluded to in the book itself. Mm, excellent. Yeah. And, and what are your thoughts on, so from the omega-3 standpoint, so the conversion of the EPA and the DHA, the ALA form, so the plant form to the, the EPA and the DHA, do you find that that is, would you suggest that someone would take a supplement in that case because of that inefficiency of the conversion or what are your thoughts on that? So um, some of the research shows that um, the conversion of the ALA is actually helped by curcumin and turmeric. Oh really? So what I suggest to people, yes. So so what I suggest to people is that the that conversion is made um, more efficient by by turmeric, and so for example, in a chia pudding, add some turmeric. You know, you're not really going to taste it, and it's not a bad taste. You you know, maybe, maybe some people may not like it, but you're adding just a, a little bit. Um, so I say, if you're making a chia pudding, if you um, using any of those plant-based sources, try to add in turmeric and that's, that will actually at least help the efficiency. Outside of that, of course, you know, a, a vegan supplement uh, for uh, omega-3s, if you don't consume seafood is also, also an option and they're, and they're easily available. But I, I like to first start with um, food sources. And with the addition of turmeric, you know, it's, it's doing good things to your body anyway. So why not add it in? Mm, and don't forget the black pepper. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now the vitamin D too, I think this is a, a really interesting one because you, you mentioned how it's so important with mental health and in the research, they show that about 80% of people who have IBS, um, you know, irritable bowel syndrome or gut issues also have vitamin D deficiency. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll say, is it the chicken or the egg? And of course, everything's all connected. So we can't necessarily say which came first, mm-hmm. but it just comes back to the point of the importance of making sure that you get your levels tested. I have clients who spend, you know, plenty of time out in the sun. They're training for marathons. You know, their Sundays Mm -hmm. are 12, you know, 12 miles in the sun and they are still vitamin D deficient. And that's Mm -hmm. why I always recommend that people get tested before just, you know, assuming that just because they spend time outside that they're getting enough vitamin D. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, testing is always super helpful when we're trying to replenish certain vitamins. And certainly in the far northeast, um, vitamin D is is deficient in many people. So it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be testing. And since we were just talking about um, certain vegan or plant-based supplements, then, you know, if someone's not consuming meat, um, then one of the things they want to be cautious about is vitamin B12. And that's a mm. level they should get checked. Yeah, because there are definitely mental health and neurological symptoms associated with uh, vitamin B12 deficiencies. Mm, excellent. And then you mentioned the probiotic and prebiotic rich foods. I had a question the other day about, you know, what if somebody's really picky and they don't like things like sauerkraut or um, kimchi? And my suggestion was, you know, I think kefir and yogurt can be great. And you have some recipes in the book. Are there any favorites that you have of ways to incorporate those prebiotic and probiotic rich foods? Yeah, you know, I, I like the fact that in Indian in Indian cooking, um, yogurt is actually often used in certain dishes uh, to help uh, build marinades mm -hmm. and to actually tenderize certain foods. Um, and I think that if you're going in a savory direction, that's one way to think about it. Can you add a little bit to a, uh, to a, to a marinade that you're making? Um, so one that comes to my mind is uh, a recipe for chicken tikka masala. If you do eat chicken, but you can also do the same recipe with a plant-based option like tofu or cauliflower um, uh, florets. But it's a great way to incorporate that together with spices. So I like, I like that. Um, and I also um, like, you know, adding the creaminess of kefir, if you like the flavor, to the idea of a salad dressing, because mm. it can actually substitute for the creaminess in the salad dressing. When you add the right spices, it can be quite delicious. I mean, mm. on, it own, on its own, it has that slightly soured flavor mm -hmm. from the fermentation, but you can always buff it up with the uh, spices. Mm. I love that. And I, I loved one of the reoccurring themes in your book about you know, you don't focus on, you know, completely changing your lifestyle in a way where, you know, you mentioned even a few instances with clients that you've had where you know, you've asked them to incorporate certain foods or highlighted foods that could be potentially working against their mental health. And rather than doing this dramatic lifestyle change, especially if it's something that's part of your culture, you suggest doing things in moderation or pairing them with these foods that offer really great benefits. And, an example that I just thought of when you had there was, you know, we were, my boyfriend and I were making wings one day for a football game. And mm -hmm. I suggested to him, you know, why don't we try making our own ranch dip with some yogurt and, mm -hmm. you know, had some fun with it. And he, he did it and he really enjoyed it. So that just came to mind mm -hmm. when you mentioned that, because I, I loved your approach yeah. on, on what can we add versus focusing so much on the restriction side of things. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, nutritional psychiatry, what I find is that people, whether they have, a, um, they have really difficult symptoms or just some symptoms, but they're struggling towards a better feeling of mental well-being, um, they, people don't really want to hear just from the, the concept of behavioral psychology. You don't want to hear, don't do this and leave that out. It feels like you, your life is going to be more constricted. And if you're not feeling great, you it's harder to hear things like that. It's much easier to say, hey, have, have more yogurt, build in more vegetable dishes, you know, have these lean proteins. Um, these are the dishes you can make. You know, these are the switches you can make. Uh, you can still have dessert, but here's how and here's what I suggest. Um, but also, you know, after they have a bounty of foods to choose from and they feel like they're not going to be 
restricted and eliminating foods unless a specific condition for which a certain nutrient or ingredient has been linked to driving the symptoms in the wrong way, they feel much better. And then um, they want to start making those changes. Mm -hmm. And it's often then easier to see or hear that, you know, there are some things you need to avoid, like artificial sweeteners can drive anxiety. So those are things you need to be careful about, even if you're trying to cut back on sugar going towards the diet soda may not be helping you in that instance, Mm -hmm. if you try and help your anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, being in the field of nutrition as a dietitian, there can be a large focus on the physical aspects of eating well. And that's something that I always come across. But what I love to hear from clients and typically the clients that I work with, the focus is on more so gut health and symptoms and and just improving overall their well-being. And my favorite thing is when they come to me and say, I just feel better. You know, I feel better mentally. And, and even if the goal is weight loss, or if the goal is, you know, something very physical, then if we can shift that to focusing on feeling really good, because if you are trying to change your physical body, if you're coming from a place of solely looking a certain way versus how your body's feeling and getting that feedback from your body, then it can really detriment your project progress because it's, it's, Mm -hmm fueling your body in a way to make it feel good mentally, physically, and and all systems of the body should be feeling really good. Absolutely. You know, people are um, always talking to their doctors or their dietitians about, you know, family history diabetes or being overweight or wanting to lose a few pounds or, you know, high cholesterol. But we, we're not bringing the most important organ of our bodies into the room, you know, because without the brain, the rest of our function rest of bodies do not function. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's important to bring that conversation into the room and then understand the simple steps we can take to include the brain in that conversation and therefore include our mental well-being in the conversation as well. Uh, Because, you know, you you can have a great blood sugar and hemoglobin A1C and still be feeling emotionally horrible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, I think this, this is important. Yeah. And we have plenty of research to support the the detriments of stress on the body too. So things Absolutely. might look really good now and, and that's, that could be the case, but stress can be, it can be a very powerful, powerful thing. Absolutely. And I think speaking to the pandemic, the American Psychiatric Association did a survey early on in the pandemic and of the many things they looked at and found the thing that, that, troubled people the most was the uncertainty Mm. and when we bring ourselves to you know so many months later and that uncertainty is continuing what it speaks to is the underlying chronic stress that everyone's experiencing Mm. because we may be functioning working working from home doing our different activities but it doesn't mean that our minds and bodies are not being stressed by the current situation we're in so um, as well as election stress, you know, politi- uh, political discussions, a lot of that is just creating a lot of stress for people in the environment and therefore in their bodies. So, you know, I consider stress to be a vital sign. And I think it's one of the things we need to be paying great attention to because it's such a big driver of disease, um, inflammation, insulin resistance and all of that. In your book, you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of your cultural practice of meditation. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And is, is that something I, that you implement yeah. with your clients? 
So I, um, you know, I grew up meditating um, culturally. And what I try to share with people is that it's not necess- doesn't have to be based on a spiritual practice. It can actually be a mindful practice. So if they're open to it and they're willing to try even relaxation exercises, the power of a deep breath, um, different elements of breath yoga, um, which actually have been studied and now are shown not only cardiovascular benefits, but benefits in anxiety and depression. So even implementing small exercises like that um, in, in bite-sized uh, nuggets where they can take a, take something, practice it, and incorporate it on a daily basis makes, makes a difference. And then build from there. Not at all unlike how I discussed the diets, you know, it's, it's, I shouldn't say diet because I don't like the word, but um, how to discuss the food plans, you know, it's, it's really building blocks. It's, it's, you can't change everything in a day. So what are the, what are the things that you can change right now today that you feel comfortable doing? And that most importantly, you can easily, easily implement. There's no, no point in taking a personalized plan from me with 25 different things to do and you can't do one of them you know you you've got to be able to 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 feel that you can you can get behind yourself on at least one or two yeah yeah absolutely I think meditation can be very daunting to think about when people have this vision of it being you know a 20 minute practice out of their day and I think it's important that it's meditation looks different for everybody and as you mentioned there's many different forms of meditation and for me, sometimes it's between clients, just taking a deep breath, closing my eyes, putting mm-hmm. my hand on my stomach, feeling that's typically where I hold a lot of my stress and just mm-hmm. checking in with my body really is what I'm doing when I do that mm-hmm. is just to see, you know, where am I holding stress? Can I just close my eyes mm-hmm. for a second and not be stimulated by everything that's going on? And mm-hmm. people can maybe take those steps to not see it as, you know, an all or nothing type of situation where it has to be 20 minutes of exactly. your day. <laughs> then it could be really and break it out i love i i appreciate what you said because i i like to chunk things down for people whether it's their nutrition or the aspects of their mental well-being or the mindfulness practices the same thing with movement you know if someone is very very depressed they may not be able to do a certain exercise plan so mm-hmm. i'll speak to them about movement and can you get the newspaper today? Can you take your dog for a walk? Can you go to your local coffee store? And is it close enough that you can walk and get a cup of tea or coffee? Is there something that can change um, a little bit today that you are able to do? Because you have to meet someone where they're at. Mm. So saying to someone, meditate three times a day for 20 minutes is daunting, you know, but if you say exactly like you did, take a deep breath when you feel anxious, you know, the power of a deep breath, or this is how you can work your, work your way through a small mindfulness exercise. Um, the fact that I'm Hindu as well, you know, I, I frame in a particular way, because although I grew up with a certain background, it isn't the same for everyone. And mindfulness is just such a huge component of medicine these days that, you know, I think it's just something that any one of us can do be doing a little bit more of. Yeah. And for somebody who has an all or nothing mentality, myself included, I think it's important to know that, you know, as you mentioned with physical activity, it doesn't have to be a 30 minute intense workout or an hour in the gym. It could be as simple as, as you mentioned, chunking it out and and finding ways to incorporate it that are realistic and they make such a big difference, but it's hard to sometimes believe that when you think that the ideal situation looks like an all or nothing type of scenario. 
Mm-hmm. And I think with mood symptoms, it sometimes is difficult to envision yourself doing something in a day when you don't have the energy mm-hmm. or the motivation. So chunking it down for individuals who are feeling, um, having or experiencing a low mood becomes important too. And just building it up incrementally, because obviously I'd like them to do more, but building it up incrementally really makes it achievable. And when someone has feels mastery over even five minutes of a breath exercise or five minutes of movement, you know, um, or yoga or stretches, something that gets them into a different mindset, then they can build up more from there. I love that. And I love how you also stress a lot of that throughout the book. I really appreciated that. Thank you. Now I had a question. I'm, I was really curious about this and actually had a note written down because I wanted to talk to you about it. I used to teach nutrition to adults with um, mental health issues. And one of their questions to me was, you know, some of these, these uh, psychiatric medications, the mechanism behind them kind of leading to weight gain, um, you know, they were very frustrated and they said, is it impossible for me to lose weight if I'm on a medication that is scientifically going to basically change the way that I store fat or the way that my blood sugar is managed. And I went home, I remember going home that night and doing a lot of research on it. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but what I found was that, you know, lifestyle changes can definitely still help, even if those medications are working against you. But what would your response to that that be if somebody was worried about the weight gain and uh, the medications? Sure. So, you know, an important part of that discussion is a discussion with their doctor about the medication itself, what they're taking, the side effects, and what are those lifestyle changes that they can start making if they aren't implementing them, start start implementing at the time of even considering a medication or needing it. Um, you know, the discussion of the risk-benefit ratio in, in a more severe severe illness may warrant a medication and I think is very important and has been life-saving for many of my patients. But giving them the tools right there to start to implement um, exercise and, and things that they may be doing, but even upping their game in terms of what they're doing, what they're doing with how they eat. Um, you know, there's certainly uh, some um, information in, in the chapters on you know, the major mental illness towards the end of the book um, where I am not at all, um, I don't necessarily feel in those instances it's diet or a medication. I think it's it's learning to eat healthily with whatever medication you need to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's particularly important in those illnesses where you can get very severely sick and even at times need to be in a hospital or um, you know, maybe acutely suicidal or have mania or lose touch with reality. So in instances like that, it's really not an either or. It's it's how can I live through this and live better and healthier. Um, so getting individuals into good lifestyle, which is right there and then is, is important. 
having and making sure that they're communicating with their doctor about blood tests that they need, um, checking their different profiles as they go through treatment um, is something that we routinely do. So I think that that becomes important as well. And then sharing with them, you know, the, the, what we know from the studies and the evidence of, of the different tweaks that they can make to their diet become important as well. So I think it, it really begins with that, that discussion and providing them the information. Mm. But the point that you made about communication is is so important, right? With your any provider that you're working with, I have a lot of clients who become very frustrated with the medical system, uh, and I can understand their frustration at times. But I think part of it is we have to advocate, you know, to some extent, and to share symptoms and concerns and ask questions. And you know, sometimes it's tough to know what questions to ask or, um, you know, what kind of mm-hmm. symptoms to share. But I think creating a really good relationship with your provider, is, it seems like that would be really beneficial in, in pretty much any case. Yeah. I, I, and I think it depends on both parties, you know, the provider themselves has to be open to the discussion and have enough time. I mean, we're very, very pressed in terms of the times of time we have for our visits. Um, but that being said, I think when someone's asking legitimate questions, you know, we really have to be able to provide some information. And if, uh, you know, there is a real gap in nutrition at, at medical school. So I, I really can't uh, blame my colleagues for, for sometimes not knowing the answers immediately. But they, they've studied so much science in medical school and so many different aspects of science that they can at least lead a person to some information or create a consult uh, with someone who can provide the information too. So it's, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about opening that door to the conversation. It's starting there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what dietitians are for too, right? Is it's one of the roles. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, what are some foods that you would recommend limiting? I, and I don't say avoid because I know it's important, as you mentioned, being realistic and meeting clients where they are. But what are some foods in particular? I'd, I'd love to talk about gluten because I know that this has been a pretty hot topic over the years and you talked about it in chapter mm-hmm. five. Uh, but I've done a lot of research myself on gluten and it seems that it does have potential to worsen some mental illness for people especially people who have celiac or gluten sensitivity. But Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear maybe your thoughts on on specifically gluten to start. Sure. So I think, you know, with gluten, it's also the source of the gluten, as it is with any foods that you're eating. Um, People ask me about dairy all the time, and I'm not opposed to dairy, but I really think the source of the dairy is important. So not getting just regular dairy, but, you know, grass milk, Dairy is important because I think the quality does differ. So um, with gluten, it's not that different. It it, it has been found to worsen symptoms of anxiety. So if someone is struggling with anxiety, I might I wouldn't ask them to give up gluten overnight. I'd ask them to start cutting back on the gluten intake, making some healthy replacements for the gluten that they're eating, depending on where it is in their diet. And then, um, you know, working through the symptoms that they have. Uh, This is where food journaling, um, eliminating something slowly, watching to see how they feel, and potentially coming off it over time can be very helpful. So gluten, you know, I feel... uh, 
it, it's very much up to the individual what they what type of you know whether someone has a carnivore diet or a vegan diet I, I meet them where they're at and I work with them and and I think that that's where someone may really really love gluten and, and love breads and so how do we find a way to incorporate these habits in a healthy way uh, eat less of it eat a healthier form of it um, find some really better healthy whole grain options to um, build that in. But then in certain conditions, be, be really careful uh, because you could be worsening symptoms. So I think that that becomes important, um, whether it's gluten, whether it's dairy or any other foods that, that people may feel immediately they have to exclude. Um, same thing with caffeine or alcohol. It's about the amount. It's how you drink it, where you drink it, when you drink it. Um, you know, caffeine, it's also, and lastly, what you put into it. So, you know, caffeine, it's, you know, if you if you get your tree when you drink a cup of caffeine, paying attention to your body and how you're feeling is important. Um, someone else may be able to have a two cups of coffee in the morning and be fine. Someone else may not be able to tolerate half a cup. So if that's you and you're struggling with anxiety, then you do have to slowly come off it. Not suddenly because you can withdraw from caffeine and that can be uncomfortable. And then it also is, you know, are you adding six teaspoons of sugar and uh, a quarter cup of creamer, uh, you know, which is essentially a processed food? Uh, you know, is that, is that what you're doing? So, so ask yourself that as well. And then time of day um, that you're having it so it doesn't impact your sleep. And similarly with alcohol, in moderation, you know, um, not when you have a cocktail, if that's what you like, the simple syrup, the added liqueurs, the fruit juice added, add many more unhealthy ingredients. So if you're going to indulge in a cocktail, have a cleaner cocktail with, you know, a squeeze of a fresh fruit in it and a splash of soda, which is not adding calories compared to fruit juice. Have it in moderation. You know, if you your body reacts to it, have less uh, or slowly cut it out of your diet. So, you know, it's, it's with all of those things, it's, um, those are the sort of the big groups, but then there, there, there are the, the things we know about junk foods, processed foods, ultra processed foods, trans fats, um, you know, and added sugars are, are other things that we obviously want to be careful about. And the overarching, you know, theories, you know, of course, they're multifactorial in terms of the relationship between some of these specific foods like gluten and dairy. The theories often lead back to, oh, well, they're inflammatory. And as you mentioned, not only just now, but in the book, you know, there's all these different foods that are also anti-inflammatory. And I think mm -hmm. your point about looking at the amount, and if you're also including those anti-inflammatory foods, then maybe you won't have an improper immune response to these foods if your body, your gut health are both in balance and, you know, then you wouldn't maybe exactly. have to worry so much. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and then each person is different. You know, some, someone may respond to dairy in a different way from the next person because of their mostly unique microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, and so it again comes back to um, how that person responds. Can they tolerate it? I might say, sure, have, have a plain yogurt with some berries and cinnamon and the person may not be able to tolerate it for whatever reason. So it becomes important to understand that that person's microbiome, maybe, maybe some healing of the microbiome needs to occur. Maybe they have to consume other foods which are not uncomfortable for their gut. Um, so it, it definitely very much comes down to that. They don't necessarily have to exclude it unless there's a condition um, that, they, that they should, such as uh, celiac disease or other allergies or intolerances, then, then we have to be a little bit more careful.
Yeah. And then there's the, the low FODMAP group of foods as well, which mm-hmm. sometimes it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the bread or um, specific foods like that. And when you mentioned keeping some sort of food record, I always, you know, advise clients to do that versus, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I ate pizza. And so it must be dairy. And, and instead making a list of, okay, I had this food, this was kind of mm-hmm. where my symptoms lay. And and then making those connections, preferably working with a professional, I think is really important to have, you know, the scientific, right. um, you know, evidence behind that and have someone that's mm-hmm. really creating a, you know, okay, well, were you really stressed that day? Or did you have a tough right. week at work? Or were you underslept? And, you know, when our body in general is is susceptible or overstressed, then we're going to mm-hmm. be more likely to react to anything, whether you're uh, mm-hmm. you know, str- struggle with mental health issues or digestive issues or not. Mm-hmm. I think all of those, all of those factors are important. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Now how about um, nitrates? Now I get a lot of questions about processed meats and mm-hmm. this is, this is a tough one for people, especially because so many of my clients love how easy it is to just chop up a chicken sausage and add it to a stir fry because one of yeah. the main things that I work with clients on is getting enough protein. A lot of my mm-hmm. clients are not eating enough protein. So what would mm-hmm. your what would your thoughts be on um, processed sure. Yeah, so you know, it depends on, on the actual processed meat, how it's made and, and that type of stuff. But you know, the, the nitrates actually drive depression. So if someone is struggling with their mood, I think that they want to be careful of that. Um, there are also different um, different types of sausages they could get, right? Because a fresh sausage that's purchased at a meat counter um, or at a butcher is usually made fresh and, and you can easily ask at the meat counter or at the at the butcher that you go to, you know, do you add anything, any preservatives into your sausage or anything, any other ingredients besides spices? And usually they're quite happy to tell you. And in fact, they might even have it on a label. So that's an easy way around that. There, there are other, you know, there are other versions of the same healthy food that you're trying to eat or same unhealthy food. There might be a healthier version that you can obtain. So when I say unhealthy, I mean the nitrates that could worsen depression. Um, and I think that's one way around it. Another is I think that, you know, finding other other options for the foods that you like become very important in building up your food list instead of eliminating things and making you feel miserable. So there again, um, uh, on a one-to-one basis, I might work with someone around the foods that they really like to eat. And then when we circle them and realize, you know, these are not the best options for your current condition. Are there, what can we make as healthy swaps? What are the things that we can do that you will enjoy eating um, and that will make up for the sandwich that you used to enjoy or the, um, you know, the, the chicken sausage that you used? There are, there are fresh versions of that that are probably pretty healthy and will, will still bring back the flavor and taste that you're looking for. Mm. And, and even to go as far as, you know, the point that you make in the book a lot about the, the benefit of cooking from home, you know, not just for yeah. a, a fact that you can control the ingredients and you know what's in your food, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, it's the experience of it as well. And, and not to say that everybody has a positive at home experience, but creating that relationship with food where it is something that you are preparing and you're sitting down and being mindful and, and it can really benefit you health-wise from a mental health standpoint, digestive standpoint, if you have, you know, you've cooked the food, you've taken the time and been present with it, 
think that's an underlooked aspect of eating in general. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I think that it's just about a mindful approach. It's, um, it, it's all of those things. So, so I like that you appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now, anything else that you would add? Um, I think one, one more thing that I had written down was mm-hmm. soy. Um, it was interesting. You, you had talked about a research um, article kind of being inconclusive about its impact on male hormones and mm-hmm. I work with a lot of females on hormone balance and, you know, mm-hmm. there's plenty of research out there that talks about the benefits of soy and says that it doesn't mm-hmm. impact hormones. And I would just, I have personal anecdotal experience from clients where mm-hmm. it sometimes is not supportive of their health goals. And we do end up mm-hmm. having to move to either elimination of it or, um, you mm-hmm. know, choosing more fermented sources of it. So, right very interested to to hear your take on that and it was interesting to read that case study that you put in the book yeah the i think that again it comes back to my my personal philosophy and belief around these nutritional psychiatry plans that i design i really said that they are highly personalized i mean i'm moving toward more and more personalized medicine in in all dimensions right now mm-hmm. and for that exact reason um someone might you know it depends on the type of soy that they're consuming i mean edamame is is a great source of protein, plant-based. Um, it's not the same as a more processed tofu. A fermented version like tempeh or miso can be super healthy for the gut. So I think it's it's what they can tolerate and um, their particular condition. So if a person has some difficulties with, say, hormones or the impact, we might want to look at that more specifically, work with the endocrinologist or whoever is also treating them. You know, I, I believe in a team-based approach because I think that medicine in this country is so highly specialized that we tend to be siloed and and we're so busy that, that across, I know that that we all do our best to communicate, but sometimes you, you just, you know, you don't see the overlapping conditions that could be someone, the gastroenter- something the gastroenterologist is treating and something else that you're dealing with from, from your perspective. So with soy, I think it depends again on the form of soy, um, what they can tolerate and what their conditions are. If they're struggling with hormones, it might be that they have to slowly eliminate that. But if they're plant-based and that as one of their sources of protein, then we've got to rethink how do we get it? Can they perhaps eat edamame, uh, you know, which, which is fresh? It's, it's something that is more easily obtained. Can they still include miso paste um, or, you know, some tempeh um, in, in, in their foods or not? And maybe they, maybe they have to eliminate all of it. So do you tend to eliminate soy off the bat with a lot of your patients? So we don't tip it. It's, it's really, you know, we definitely have a similar approach where if, especially if someone is eating plant-based, I'm not going to just tell them to not, I mean, it also depends on their, their willingness to change and when how severe their symptoms are, but yeah. we'll, we would first start by choosing, okay, well maybe we can incorporate more fermented soy and less of, mm-hmm. you know, less of the soy milk and soy yogurt and, and go for more of the fermented kinds. And then if they start to see benefits, which a lot of the times it can be pretty significant and they'll notice pretty quickly within a given month, then mm-hmm. we will completely eliminate it. And then maybe even slowly try to reintroduce it back in. 
And part mm -hmm. of the reason why I do that too is just to show them the direct correlation with their symptoms if that is really the only mm -hmm. variable that we're changing. But you know, I have clients who consume soy and, and they're fine and they have no, no issues. They have no digestive right. issues associated with it. And, you know, maybe their goals are completely unrelated to gut health. So we don't really have to address soy at all, but it's, it's mostly mm -hmm. my clients who are eating plant-based where their diets are predominantly soy or they're eating large amounts mm. of it in one sitting that it, it does mm. tend to become a problem. And, and like you said, it is, mm -hmm. it's very individualized and depends on what their, the composition of their gut microbiome is, what, what their hormones look like mm -hmm. to begin with when we start working together. Mm -hmm. But it, it definitely mm -hmm. uh, has shown to be an important area to just keep in mind when I work with clients. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, the other options are that we can, we have so many more alternatives now. You know, we have um, nut-based yogurts. We have um, nut-based milks, you know, that, that people can switch out um, and maybe just, just consume healthier um, versions of the soy or, or less processed version of the soy. So I think it, it, it I agree with you, it, it much depends on the, the person sitting front, in front of me and, and what they need. Yeah, excellent. So what would your three takeaways be if someone were listening to this episode and they were thinking, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of people you could say, well, my mental health could be better. What would your three big takeaways be? I mean, you've already mentioned so many incredible things that people could do today, but what would you recommend right now? What they could do, they could go home tonight and implement. Sure. So I think it's, it's about um, small and effective changes. Um, so one thing today right now that you could do that you have at home, maybe it's a spice in your cabinet, maybe it is that you have plain yogurt or that you have frozen berries that you've ignored in your freezer. Um, what can you do, you know, with what you have at home and make a healthy switch? Um, uh, perhaps it's, you know, adding berries to your yogurt or having berries for dessert tonight. Um, and, and I think that start there, you know, because it's, this, these plans are about slow and steady habit change that actually click in, mm. not about saying, do these 15 things over 28 days and you'll be cured. And, and not that I have anything against plans that do that because they may be actually looking at a completely different set of parameters. But when you're trying to improve your uh, nutrition for mental health, it takes time. And if you have any uh, underlying dysbiosis or imbalance in your gut, that's going to take time as well, and usually at least up to a month. So the first thing is, what can you do, what you have at home that you can institute as a healthy habit? Maybe you have some vegetables that you have been ignoring, and maybe you can add some um, sides of vegetables to your dinner tonight, or maybe that will be your dinner with and make it in an interesting way with interesting spices. The second thing is to really pay attention to gut foods. So whether they're prebiotics, probiotics, and fermented foods, probiotics are usually supplements but um you know can be contained in things like yogurts like we spoke about but can you really up your game on those can you think about prebiotic foods which are like the allium family um garlic um onions chives many things that we actually cook with leeks so you know in including those just every day as as best you can in your diet becomes something that if you almost build it in um, it, it it's a healthy habit that's going to make 
make a difference to you. And the third is is a very simple one, but I I I, I cannot stress it enough because I do think that um, while while I know that Americans as, as a country worry about protein, we are actually more, much more deficient in the amount of fiber that we're eating. Mm. And we can only get fiber from, um, you know, from plants, uh, fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, healthy whole grains, legumes, that type of thing. You can't really get it from, you cannot get it from seafood and animal protein. So I think up your fiber game, you know, by your, your vegetables, your spinach, your leafy greens, um, because all of those also bring back really healthy brain nutrients um, as well. So I'm not just saying, oh, eat your vegetables and have more salad. There are actual brain healthy nutrients in those simple foods that are going to be good for you. So just three things that you can do. Can you add a salad? Can you up your pre and probiotic game? And can you think of something you have at home? Um, you know, maybe your mom told you buy some turmeric because she, she read about it somewhere. If you have it in your cabinet, start using it today. Add a pinch of black pepper. We all have black pepper at home, you know, and, um, and see if you can start there um, for yourself because those things will be effective if you can do them today or maybe the next time you go to the supermarket or however you get your groceries that you can change a little bit, tweak a little bit of what, what you're buying and what you're doing. Mm. I love that, that fiber comment as well. I think that is a very underrated you know, aspect of the diet and the, even the recommendations that are out there around like 25 grams, I would even say go a little bit higher uh, just because of the research that we have on butyrate which is, you know, provides that fuel for the cells in our gut, which support, as you mentioned, our immune function and the, the mm-hmm. wall, the colon. And our brain health. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's we have plenty of research to support fiber and all of those. Right. And, it's, yeah. and it's not that it isn't important, it's just that I know we tend to worry about that a little bit more. But actually, when we do that, we, we're forgetting that we're not getting our fiber in so fiber is our friend you know fiber is your gut friend and 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 a happy gut is a happy mood so if you just start including those on a regular basis your you know your bowel habits will be more regular because you're just naturally consuming more fiber Mm -hmm. as well as your gut gut microbes will be well taken care of so um i would say you know we can all we can up our fiber game yeah absolutely absolutely Now, your book is incredible. I can't say enough wonderful things about it. I've read many different books, you know, over my career. And this was really just one that was kind of the, it's going to be on my bookshelf for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be telling my clients that they have to read it. And my intern actually read it as a, as a way to kind of just get some education on some of the stuff we're working on. And she she had so many notes on it and, you know, she highlighted things and was just speaking to how incredible it was that she was saying, wow, I never knew that. And these associations. So um, where can people find your book? I, I have already purchased on audible and, and have it on my phone, but where can people purchase it? Thank you. So um, they can purchase it actually on at all online bookstores now. Okay. It's um, available um, since you're in Boston, uh, Aaron, it's available at the Harvard Coop, but also at your small local bookstores, you know, and, and online at Amazon and other locations. So you can find it on my website. We link to the different sites depending on where you want to buy it. And that's umanaidumd.com. 
Um, that's U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O-M-D.com. Uh, but also, um, you mentioned your intern being into the work. Follow us on social media because we're always putting out updated information, new scientific research, r- research from the book that we share, um, articles, updates, and um, you know things that people could enjoy learning from as well. And that handle is at D-R-U-M-A. N-A-I-D-O-O for at Dr. Uman. I decide, I hope that more people will follow us. Yeah, This Is Your Brain on Food is the title of the book. Is that, That's correct, right? Yes, This Is Your okay. Brain on Food. This Is Your Brain on Food. Everybody, you need to go get a copy of this. You need to gift it for the holidays to your family members because this information is, does it cannot go unnoticed in the health and wellness field. And Erin, I should mention that we have a huge um, uh, actual gift-giving campaign because we've been thinking a lot about mental wellness in industry and mental wellness at work, whether Mm -hmm. it's hospital-based employees, whether it's corporations that have employees, because we know that there's been so much more burnout through Mm -hmm. the pandemic and so much more mental illness with 11% of Americans considering suicide during the pandemic. So we know that people may not be speaking about how poorly they're feeling. And if people are interested in our gift giving uh, campaign, uh, which is really a book campaign, and in other words, gifting the book to employees who could benefit from it, Mm. um, because we want them to fortify their mental health, and please get in touch with us as well. You can send us a DM, you can uh, email our head of marketing on my website, and um, just send us a message on Instagram, and we'll get back to you. That's beautiful. Thank you for that resource. I'm definitely going to check that out myself. And the last question is, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Um, it's probably um, watching my uh, my grandmother prepare. So I was little and um, uh, my, I would spend some time during the day. My mom was at medical school and um, I would spend time with my grandmother to whom she's one of the people to whom the book is de- dedicated. And she would, um, you know, take care of, she'd show me how to prepare lentils. And it's one of my favorite dishes. Dal is one of my favorite go-to staples. Um, and, you know, she would firstly show me how, you know, you look, need to look at the lentils, appreciate the color, pick out any stones, mm. um, sort that through on a tray, and then how she would, you know, tenderize them, either pressure cook them or soak them, and how that evolution would go from a little lentil like that into a whole um, dal, which, you know, otherwise looks like a soup. So that for me is a very beautiful memory of, of her and what she taught me just in many different things about food and, and love and nurturance and, and family. So. Wow, that's beautiful. I think we, we don't appreciate enough. And I think part of it is, you know, the fast paced lifestyles. And, and this is even something that I have really tried to tap back into, but looking at the food and just thinking about, you know, the process of the preparation and, and learning about each integral part of it and trying to you know, when it's coming from a restaurant to your plate or, you know, uh, to your doorstep, it can be really difficult to kind of have that full experience when you're not hands-on in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. but what a beautiful memory. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people can read your book and maybe try some of the recipes. I love that you had the sardine recipe in there. I'm a big, big, (laughs) I have a a recipe on my highlight. Great source of omega-3s. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. great source of omega threes for people. Easy, inexpensive, mm-hmm. and um, you know you don't all, not not everyone can can get salmon. There are also canned versions of salmon that are healthy. So you know the, it it it's always that you can always find a way towards healthy eating. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Uma Naidu, and for the the work that you're doing in the field, and especially because this is such an important topic right now. But for for the work that you're doing for the world, I mean, this is it's incredible and I, I can't tell you enough Thank how much you. I appreciate it and for you coming on and sharing your expertise here today. Thank you so much, Erin. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, well have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. All right, bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, please visit nutritionrewired.com where you can also find my book, Rewire Your Gut. This is a great resource for anybody who's looking to improve their health and a really great place to start if you are kind of confused about nutrition and gut health and you're looking for some recipes to make that change really delicious. So thanks again for tuning in. As always, don't forget to share the health.